Welcome to episode 31 of the Forward from 50 podcast, where we interview people over 50 who are pursuing new direction for their lives. It's an opportunity for men and women to tell their stories, their way, in their own words. I'm Greg Gerber, the founder of Forward from 50, and your host for today's show. Today I'm interviewing a woman from Vermont who set out on an adventure to walk the entire GR5 trail stretching 1,400 miles from the Netherlands to France. When Kathy Elkin was 57, she and her husband Jim moved from Massachusetts to Vermont. But before jumping into their new community, they wanted to take a year off to tackle an item from their bucket list. As outdoor people who enjoyed traveling, the couple opted to go hiking. Yet they did not want to carry a heavy pack, which was required to complete other hikes like the Appalachian Trail or the Pacific Crest Trail. In asking for advice, the couple encountered a man from France who recommended the Grand Redonde, or Great Trek, also commonly known as the GR5 Trail. National Geographic refers to the GR5 as Europe's most beautiful hiking trail. Starting in the southern Netherlands, it crosses Belgium, Luxembourg, eastern France, and western Switzerland before ending near the south shore of Nice, France. It took the couple three months to complete the trip from cold North Sea to the warm Mediterranean. What made the adventure different from other hikes is that the couple stayed in hotels along the way, rather than in tiny tents. When hotels weren't available, they stayed in huts. However, the huts along the trail sometimes came with a three-course meal plus a glass of wine or beer. Before starting the next season of her life, Kathy wanted to take a gap year, similar to what high school students do before they start college or enter the workforce. She wanted to figure out what to do going forward. Kathy had been a stay-at-home mom for much of her life, but also owned a business as an eating psychology coach, helping women with eating problems. To tell us more about her adventure, how it changed her life, and what she did to document that experience, please welcome Kathy Elkin to the show. Thanks for joining me today, Kathy. I really appreciate your time. Now, I understand that after you turned 50, you went on quite an adventure. Why don't you tell us how you got started in this? Thank you, Greg. It's really nice to be here. Let's see. I was a little bit later in my later 50s, 57. My husband and I left Massachusetts and moved up to Vermont. And before we dove into our new community, we decided to take an adult gap year. And it didn't end up being a whole year, but that doesn't matter. We were trying to figure out what we wanted to do. We've always wanted to travel. We both love our outdoors people. We love to do anything to do with the outdoors. I had always wanted to do the Appalachian Trail or the Pacific Crest Trail. But at 57, I did not want to carry a heavy pack anymore. I didn't want to camp every night either. My husband would have been happy to do anything. He's much more hardcore. So we had to find something that we could both do and be happy with. We kept asking around and ended up asking a Frenchman, what's your favorite adventure? And he told us about the Grand Rondonnet Sink or the GR5, which is a route in Europe. And so we walked for three months in Europe. What part of Europe did that route take you through? So the GR5 starts in Hook Van Holland and goes through the Netherlands, then parts of Belgium, and then the whole length of Luxembourg, and then the, the complete length of France along the eastern border down and down across the Alps for the last five weeks to Nice, the warm Mediterranean. The idea is you're going from the cold North Sea to the warm Mediterranean. 
That's right. So people hike that direction. They certainly don't go the other way from the warm Mediterranean up into the cold area of Holland, huh? <laughs> no. And the other great thing about the GR5 is that it starts out flat. Um, the Netherlands are flat and Belgium is fairly flat in the beginning. And then it's rolling hills and then a little bit bigger, bigger hills. And then you get to the Vosges Mountains in France and then the Jura Mountains for two weeks. And then you finally get to the Alps, five weeks in the Alps. So by the time you get there, you're in good shape to hike the Alps. How long is this? Three months, a little over three months. Three months traveling a distance of? 1,400 miles. Yes, correct. Wow. Yeah. That's still yeah. impressive. So if you don't yeah. like the camp, were you staying in hotels on the way all, every night? Yes, small hotels in Europe. Almost every village has a small hotel and sometimes a couple of them. So yes, we were walking village to village, which was really neat. And when we're in the mountains, there are huts. So it's walking hut to hut. And they're a little bit fancier than if you're familiar with the Appalachian Trail huts or the, the ones in the White Mountains. You're served sometimes a three-course meal with wine and beer. And so it's oh, a little bit nicer. <laughs> it's like camping under five stars. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty nice. I have never heard of anybody talking about a gap year before. What is a gap year? It sounds very interesting. Well, a gap year, the first time I heard about a gap year is talking many times students take a year off after high school and before college when they're trying to figure out what they want to do with their life. And my understanding is that many more Europeans take gap years. And I think people from New Zealand and Australia also, it, it's a, a big part of their lives is to take gap years. My, our kids, we have two kids who are adults now, but they did not take gap years, but they had friends that took gap years. And so if I look at it as a time in life to take a break and try something new, before you're sucked into the next part of your life. And that's the way we decided to take an adult gap year. And it wasn't a full year, but if you include the amount of work it was to do the research, it was close to a year. And before we went and walked the GR5, we were down in Southern Italy for six weeks, just doing day walks to get in shape. Okay. That was a whole nother trip. <laughs> so the gap year is separating two different lives basically and it's like a, a short long slower transition from one life to the other yes that's, that's very interesting that's would you encourage other yeah. seasoned citizens to be doing this i would i i think a gap year is or a gap month whatever length of time you want to do i think you can brainstorm and follow your heart to something you've always wanted to do and why not I, again, the reason Jim and I did it now is we want, while we were still strong and had the energy to go off and travel and hike that, those long distances, we wanted to do it now instead of waiting until our 70s or 80s. That's exactly right. So many people are going to do it someday and then someday never arrives. I would imagine exactly. a gap year is a great way to decompress as well after you're retiring, if you're leaving a job to get rid of all that stress. So maybe even a gap month to just let it all go before you jump into the next uh, chapter of your life. Yes. And that, I really saw that in my husband a lot. He had worked, tra he had traveled for parts of his job and 
worked very hard, 50, 60 hour weeks. And then when he retired, he could completely decompress and walking day after day was a great way to do that. I've always, I was a stay at home mom for 10 years. I ran my own small business, but I didn't ever work full time. After kids, I've worked part time. So it was a different kind of decompressing for me, but for both of us, it was a great time. The walking was a way of meditating too. So that was really great. I can imagine. Most of it is not paved. In Europe, there are so many walking trails. And basically, it's a collection of trails that have been put together, again, from village to village. Once you come into the village, yes, you're on sidewalks and on the sides of roads. Many times we were on dirt roads, forest roads, forest tracks, agricultural roads, again, dirt roads, and then also on single track trails through through the woods and through mountains and things like that. So it's a collection. Every day it was a little bit different, which was fun. And you said that you had to train for almost a year before you could launch on that trail? No, we we trained for about probably two months. That's a long way to to walk, 1,400 miles with just two months of training. Both of us are pretty athletic anyways, and we ski and we hike anyways. And when we moved up to Vermont, we were walking and exercise is a big part of our life. We were in okay shape, <laughs> but getting, you're getting in shape to be able to walk. There's sort of one, you can get in shape to be able to walk for a full day, but then to be able to do it day after day, that, that takes more time. Mm-hmm. Did you discover anything about yourself or your body during this hike? I actually discovered that I'm stronger than I think I am. And, and I also discovered that just stopping for 20 minutes, stopping for 10 minutes, stopping and, and resting for half an hour, a nice half an hour lunch, it's amazing how your body in the afternoon can just pick up and keep going. And I'm also amazed at how a good night's sleep, you feel completely refreshed the next day. We were lucky we didn't get too many blisters, but in the beginning, we really had to pay attention to our feet to make sure that they were broken in. And you have to break in your the psychology of it too. Um, I personally woke up every day really excited to just keep moving. It was exciting to be there. I would imagine it required some change of your eating habits though, didn't it? Yes. So I had been an eating psychology coach and helped women who struggled with eating and talking about, I would work with people to actually be, get away from sticking with the diet. So this was a really good time. I just ate what was in front of me and to fuel my body. And then we definitely had picnic lunches every day, bread, cheese. You have to eat what's there. We spent a little bit more time trying to find grocery stores to find carrots and cucumbers and tomatoes and try to get some more fresh vegetables in there. But again, for me, it was helpful to just trust the journey. A lot of people, I know they're going through life struggling with their weight. I've been one of those up and down all the time. And especially for women, it can get to a really negative situation where a lot of shame enters their life. They don't feel like they look like the models that they see depicted and held in such high esteem. Is that a problem, do you think? Did you ever struggle with that? Oh, yes. But I've slowly, I've been, I 
say, walking the path of self-compassion and walking the path of accepting my body the way it is. I will never be a stick-thin person. And it's more changing our mindset. We've been told by the media that thin and muscular is the way to be. And I'm proof that I can walk across the continent and I am a rounder woman and I have muscle, but I also have post-metal padding. It's what oh, I, I love it's, it. It's there, but I can walk forever. I can walk all day long. And so I know I am strong, but yeah, it's sometimes I still get triggered by my thinking, but most of the time I am proud of myself and I, I'm okay with the way I look. It's a waste of energy to not be happy with yourself. That's great. It's just refreshing to hear somebody who has come to uh, love her postmenopausal body. I love that. When you're traveling all this way with your husband, that had to have been memorable for you folks, but also challenging to spend that much time with each other and walking. So it's a physical exercise with each other for a long day, for many months. How did that affect your relationship? It's interesting. After the third day, we had already fallen into a rhythm of not walking right next to each other and talking the whole time. We walked so we could see each other and we would take turns. And again, it just happened organically. One person would be out ahead and they would be following. We used Gaia um, as a, and we were also following way markers. And the person in front would follow and, and look behind to make sure the other person was following. And the person in back could just zone out and meditate and think. And so we didn't really talk that much in the morning times, except if we had to make decisions and things like that, obviously. And then in the afternoon, we tended to walk more and talk, walk and talk together. The other thing is European meals are long meals, sometimes a two-hour dinner, and the dinners sometimes start till seven or eight at night. And so you're sitting there with your spouse and you've been walking together all day and we're already talking together. So uh, we got to the point where that sort of compassionate silence was okay. I remember seeing, I'd see older couples sitting together in a restaurant, not talking. And I'd think, oh, I'm never going to do that. But now it was okay to just sit there and not talk all the time. And that was something that took a little getting used to. We did notice is that when you're traveling together as a couple, you're united. And we actually didn't have as many arguments and things as we thought, as we did normally at home, because we were working together as a team moving across the country. And it wasn't until we took a two and a half day rest in, on Lake Geneva before starting the Alps that all of a sudden we let down our guard. And we actually, that's when things started coming up when we were like, I don't know, nagging each other. And, mm -hmm. and we fell into that, those old roles. So in general, I was pleased with how well we got along. And we, as a married couple, were also better and better at talking about the issues and bringing them up and getting through them. And we also know each other's strengths and weaknesses, and we trust each other's strengths and weaknesses. I've talked to several people who've been out in wilderness for extended periods of time like that, and it was very spiritual for them. Was it that way for you as well? Yes, definitely. Um, I, I would find myself flowing in out of daydreaming and thinking, but also sometimes just 
noticing, being completely present and noticing the amazing wildflowers and the way the wind had them dancing and real, really meditating and connecting to higher spirit. I personally don't believe in, um, in God, but um, I more believe in nature. So um, it was, if I was out in a spirit, it was a very spiritual experience. Yes. What was your favorite part of the trip? What's pretty interesting about the GR5 is it actually takes you by a lot of historical um, sites. And we went by a lot of different castles. Um, and so we would read each night ahead of time in the guidebooks and decide, oh, we'll spend a half an hour in this. Some of the castles were just abandoned, and that was still cool. Some you could get tours in. All the different cathedrals were amazing. Cathedrals, small churches. The history of the Catholic Church is quite interesting all the way through France. So the cultural places that we saw, and also as we were walking down the eastern border of France with Germany, many World War II and even World War I sites. So just the history of the area was amazing. That sounds like it'd be a really fascinating trip. I understand, mm -hmm. though, that you are compiled a book as a result of your experience. What, what prompted you to do that? When we got home, I hadn't planned on writing a book. I was trying to restart my business up in Vermont, and it just wasn't going really well. I just didn't have the energy behind it. I would offer some classes, and it would be hassle. And I do know when you're starting a bit new business in, or a business in a new place, it takes time, but I just didn't have the patience for it. And I just kept thinking about the trip and I kept missing the trip. And I've been in, I've been in a writing group and I've always thought about writing a book. And it just, I get this, I got this real passion to write, keep writing about the book. And that was one way to stay on the trail was to write about it. So I started writing about it. I, I had a friend who said, just write down all the stories that you have. And that's what I did. I wrote down all the interesting stories that I had found. And I had kept a, basically about a paragraph each day. I kept a journal and Jim had kept a journal and he nicely shared that with me. And I ended up putting together a memoir called To Walk In Is To See It. And it's not every day. It's not that kind of book where it's, I don't walk, talk about every day. It's one story one or two stories a week, basically. And yeah, it was, it's, that's been a whole nother journey of uh, learning about writing. I took a lot of writing classes during it and then the whole publishing adventure. How long did it take you to write the book? The first, I would say three years, one, one and a half years uh, for the first draft and then another year and a half in editing and rewriting. And again, taking different memoir classes, which were really helpful and interesting and having different people read it and give me ideas. And then it, I ended up using a hybrid press and that's been, that was a whole nother experience learning about. Absolutely. I, a friend of mine sent me a meme just the other day that talked about write the book that you want to read because when you're writing it, you're going to read it a 780 different times. <laughs> Exactly. So did you create a business around the book as well? I'm going to start selling the book. It comes out August 15th. And I'm going to 
be doing a book tour. And so, yes, I guess this is a business, yeah, a book tour and being on different podcasts and sharing about it. Yes. Super. You said that you had run a business in the past. What did you do? So I was an eating psychology coach, which now is called a mind body coach. And again, helping women who are struggling with overeating and emotional eating. I, my longer story is I actually have dyslexia and I didn't learn to read until about seventh grade. And the shame I felt from being so different from not because little girls, especially little girls all know how to read and reading, being able to read is an important part of being in school. And I hid that I couldn't read. Um, I was very smart, but I had a hard time learning to read. And so I had a lot of shame around that. And I used to overeat to just, instead of using alcohol or drugs, I used food to numb and soothe the difficult emotions. And I made it through high school and I made it through with extra tutoring. I had a mother that helped me out a lot. I had extra tutoring. I made it through college and I actually ended up teaching second grade. And I really enjoyed helping the, the students that were struggling reading. I did that for five years. And then I was a reading tutor for another five years. So I was, but then I, I found myself, actually, when I wrote, I still used food to numb and soothe the anxiety about around the writing. And so I decided to become an eating psychology coach or a mind-body coach. And, and what I found was self-compassion was really what helped, was understanding that we all suffer in different ways and giving yourself compassion and talking to yourself in a gentle, kind voice. So that's the long story. Is there anything that you would change in your life that if you had to start over, you'd do it a different way? No, I wish I had a little more confidence as a younger woman, but I didn't, and that's the way it is. So I don't, now I definitely have a lot more confidence and I try, I take risks and try a lot of things. I feel like I'm a late bloomer and that's okay. We don't realize if we're lucky enough to live as long as we're living, then this is a great time in life. You're done, done raising kids and luckily saved enough money to do some great exploring. Do you have any advice for people over 50 to either help them identify or pursue their passions? Definitely. I think writing, if you're inclined to do it, just a little bit of journaling and writing, what is it that sparks you? Ask those questions. What sparks you? What, are you, what do you think about? What do you dream about? And write it down. And uh, I'm a big picture thinker. And if you're not, oh, try to open up your box into thinking about what you could possibly do and try not to limit yourself and find what works for you. Keep, keep trying and talking to other people too. I'm a big believer in collaboration and chat. What have you done? And tell me what lights your fire. And then I think that, that really helps. That's what we do here at Forward from 50 is we like to yeah. talk to people who have got their fire lit. That's for sure. So what's yeah. next for Kathy? Let's see. Definitely bringing the book to walk it is to see it out into the world and sharing it and sharing the love of walking. I really believe it's, you don't have to go for three months. You can go for a week or two weeks and go off and any part of the GR5 would be a great week, two weeks, 10 day walk 
if you can afford it, get to your get yourself to Europe and go walk. The public transportation is amazing. You can go walk from village to village. I it's some people have termed it slow travel. I like the idea of slow travel, and it's a great way to get to know a country. And instead of doing a different country each day, I don't know why not get to know one place exactly really well. Um, and really see it, see the people, stay in these small hotels. And aren't we did not speak French very well? Uh, we use Google Translate. There's so many apps nowadays that make your life easier. And, and if you just give it a little try, it's amazing how well you can communicate. Were, it really is. Were people friendly enough to help you with the, the language barrier? Oh, yes. Again, if you try, if you are polite and respectful and not be an obnoxious American. <laughs> no, it's true. I think you really have to be polite and it's their country and take it slow. I think it's the other thing we notice in a many Europe, most European restaurants, they're quiet and calm. And you think about a, a loud American restaurant. So I think you just have to be respectful and Try to speak the language as best you can and ask for help. Use Google Translate again. Sometimes I would just write it out and have it translated and ask them to read it. And they would smile and joke because Google Translate messes up too. <laughs> and we all, people are very willing to help. I think it does help to have a backpack on your back that mm -hmm. they know that you're walking and you're, you're there to try to learn and help. Okay, very good. Thank you so much, Kathy. I really appreciate the time. It sounds like your journey was fascinating, and I'm glad you're writing a book about it to share it with others. Thank you. After listening to Kathy Elkin describe her trek across Europe along the Grand Redonde Trail, I think it would be something I'd enjoy someday as well. Kathy talked about learning to be happy with the way she looked, even with postmenopausal padding. She noted it was a waste of energy not to be happy and to dwell on her changing appearance. She admitted it was challenging to walk 1,400 miles during long days over three months. But she and her husband were comfortable not walking side by side all the time, but rather staying within close proximity of each other. That allowed both of them to zone out and meditate in order to soak in the experience. European meals were challenging because they often last more than two hours. After spending time on the trail all day, Kathy and her husband were sometimes all talked out by the time they sat down for dinner. It took some getting used to, but Kathy eventually enjoyed that compassionate silence. The couple discovered they actually became more united as the trip progressed and had fewer disagreements than they did at home. At the same time, being on the trail was a rather spiritual moment for them, especially when walking through abandoned castles and old cathedrals. Upon returning to Vermont, Kathy tried to jumpstart her business once again, but it didn't go as well as she hoped. After a while, she opted to write a book about her hiking experience instead. Doing so kept her on the trail by reliving memories and reviewing journals both Kathy and her husband maintained along the way. Kathy titled her finished memoir, To Walk It Is To See It, One Couple, 98 Days, 1400 Miles on Europe's GR5. The book is available on Amazon and in other bookstores. Kathy is also doing some public speaking about the magic of long-distance walking. She says to walk a country is to see a country, which makes perfect sense to me. To people over 50 who are contemplating their next steps, 
Kathy encourages them to discover what creates a spark within them and to examine all the possibilities without imposing limitations on their thinking or beliefs. People can connect with Kathy by visiting www.kathyalkind.com. That's all I have for this week's show. If you'd like help identifying a purpose for your life or to get help planning your next steps, I'm offering a complimentary brainstorming session to members of the Forward from 50 Facebook community. For details, connect with me on Facebook or visit www.forwardfrom50.com. I'll have another inspirational interview on the next episode of the Forward from 50 podcast. Thanks for listening. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review wherever you download the episodes.